Some hate the blood, some ridicule the blood, still others totally ignore the blood, but this preacher loves the blood. It is precious to me. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other found I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What's your relationship to the blood? Are you under it? Have you trusted it? You cannot remain neutral. You must decide. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, The Bread of Life Discourse, Part Three. We have been in the book of John, chapter six, verses 51 through 59. And in the last two days, Pastor Carl has addressed the pronouncement and the perplexity from this verse of scripture. And today, he concludes as we will evaluate the promise. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. He said, truly, truly, by the way, that's the fourth time in this sermon where he uses those words, amen, amen, literally in the Greek. He is saying, listen, this is important. It's not accidental what I'm going to say. It's very deliberate. It's something you can take home and bank on. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. Circle those two words. You have no life in yourself. And so the corollary is true. If you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have life. Now, remember, in John chapter 3, God describes us as walking dead people. Paul will speak of those who are dead even while they live. Because while it's very possible for you to be much alive today, it's quite possible for you to still be spiritually dead. And so you must be born again, Jesus said, to enter God's kingdom. Some of you listening to me today have never come to faith in Jesus Christ. And while you may be religious, you don't have the life that the Lord God wants you to have. But God came to give life, spiritual life, to be born from above, to have new life. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. He said, the thief comes only to kill and to destroy and to steal. I have come that you could have life and have it more abundantly. He is in the business of changing lives. He took Saul the bigot, Saul the murderer, and made him Paul the apostle. He took people like foul-mouthed John Bunyan, who later wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and he saved him, and he changed him. He took that immoral profligate John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, and he saved him, and he changed him. And he took highly moral religious people like Martin Luther and John Wesley and, and John Calvin and others who had no living relationship with God, and he saved them, and he changed them. And I can testify, he saved me, and he changed me as well. But you can only get it by eating the flesh and drinking the blood of the Son of Man. Now, this is a very important phrase because without doing that, there is no life. But when you do that, he promises new life, but not only new life, eternal life. Look again in verse 54. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has, circle that word, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. If you eat his flesh, that is, accept his person. If you drink his blood, that is, accept his death, you will have eternal life. 
Now, again, if you take this to be communion, then you have to say that anyone who has ever taken of communion has this eternal life. And Catholics aren't even prepared to do that. No, this is simply an analogy of receiving Christ as your Savior. Again, note the tense, has today eternal life, because eternal life is more than heaven. It is a relationship with God. It is life that lasts forever. It begins here on earth, and it goes into heaven. It's a living, loving relationship with the Savior. Listen, if the Savior doesn't come back first, my body may roll over dead someday, but I won't because I will get a change of residence from earth to heaven, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Not only will I get new life, not only do I get eternal life, a living relationship with God, ultimately I will get a resurrected life. He promises I will raise him up on the last day. And so then he adds in verse 55, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Now, the other foods of the Old Testament, like the manna, had certain value, but Christ's body and blood is referred to as true food and true drink. Remember, these people were enamored with the manna that God provided through Moses, but that was not true food. It was only a type. It was only a picture, a foreshadowing. And these people, of course, were enamored with the bread and the loaves that Christ provided when he fed the 20,000. He said, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were full. But it was temporal. It was temporal life. It was not real food. Only Christ is the real food because only Christ can save you. By the way, this verse demolishes salvation by works because the power is not in the eating. The power is in the food. There's nothing glorious about my faith. It's the object of my faith that saves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he says, abides in me and I in, I in him. He's saying there's no way for you to be right with me, for you to abide in me, and for me to abide in you apart from eating his flesh and drinking his blood. But for those who do, they will have the closest possible relationship with the Lord. He who eats, he who drinks, abides in me, and I in him. Now a man must be willing to accept that only through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ by the offering of his own flesh, can he achieve eternal life? Do you know what the greatest stumbling block was for the Jewish people to accept Jesus as the Messiah? It was that he was a crucified Messiah, a bloody Messiah. And so Paul spent three Sabbaths with the church at Thessalonica and with the Jews who came in trying to convince them from the scriptures there in the synagogue that Jesus is the Christ, that he had to suffer, that he had to die. It was offensive to them. Do you know what was offensive to the Gentiles? A bloody Messiah. When Paul wrote to the Greeks at Corinth, he said the preaching of the cross is offensive. Do you know what people have today, the real problem they have with the Lord Jesus? is that he is a bloody Messiah. One president of a major denomination said, I do not believe in the doctrine of salvation by blood. Thank God that I am not saved by the blood of anyone's salvation. By the blood of the fundamentalist gospel is of the butcher shop. I want to tell you, friend, if you don't identify 
with the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, you will have no life. And so he closes this section by coming back to his mission. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. Now circle that word sent. You and I were born into this world. Jesus Christ was sent into this world. There was never a time when Christ was not, but there was a time when he did not have a body, which is what this verse refers to. I live because of the Father. Now the cults take this verse out of the context of this chapter, of this gospel, of this Bible, and they argue from this verse that Jesus Christ is not God, that he was created, that he lives because of the Father, that the Father is God and Jesus is not. But understand, John has already said in his prologue, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And to make it very clear, he said the Word became flesh. But God the Father was involved with God the Holy Spirit in overshadowing the womb of Mary and generating humanity and adding to that to Christ's deity and inseparably combining them into one person. And so in that sense, he says, I live because of the Father, and you'll live because of me. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, God the Father sent me from heaven so that you can come to heaven. I came from heaven to earth that you can go from earth to heaven so that you can have real life. And then he clarifies in verse 58, this is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread shall live forever. As wonderful as that manner was, it had no living, giving quality in it. The people ate it, and sooner or later they died. Not because they ate it, but because they got old. It didn't impart life. But Christ is saying, as the true bread, as the true drink, I am able to give life. It's unlike any bread before. If you partake of this, he said, you shall live forever. Oh, if you're not raptured, you may have to go through the gate of death to go into heaven. But dear friend, you will never, ever, ever die. You will live forever in the Lord. In essence, is saying, take it or leave it. And then John concludes with a very important note. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, we'll look at that in more detail next time. But it's very important that John would take the time to know that because this represents a turning point in our Lord's ministry. We saw at the end of chapter 2, the Lord forsook the folks in Jerusalem because they turned their back on him. He goes to Nazareth, they turn his back on him, and he leaves Nazareth, his hometown, and then he goes to Capernaum, and that becomes his headquarters. And now this is another turning point. The people are going to turn their back on the Lord Jesus in Capernaum. He'll preach his sermon later, and he'll say, Woe to you, Bethsaida, woe to you, Capernaum, if the miracles that had been done in these places, in your city, had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, the people would have repented with sackcloth and with ashes. But he said, because you didn't, it will be more tolerable for the people of Sodom in the day of judgment than it will be for you. Had the Lord Jesus given the kind of revelation to the people of Sodom that he gave to the people of Capernaum, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes, but they didn't. And these folks turned their back on him. And so hell will be hotter for some people than others. So this is a turning point, and he notes it. Now, let me leave you with three applications as we close this morning. Three applications, and let me ask them, if I might, in the form of questions. Number one, write these down. 
Do you believe that Christ alone can save a person? Do you believe that? Now, the Lord could not have said it any clearer, plainer, or, or narrower than he did here. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in, himself, in yourselves. Now, I know it is politically incorrect to take such a narrow view that there is salvation in no one else than in Christ. Peter will say, no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He will say it time and time and time again. Most of us know John 14, 6, but he will say it in so many different and creative ways as he does here. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. Now, if you've ever taken a course on comparative religion, then you soon discover that man has a way of dividing up the religions of the world. We talk about Buddhism and Confucianism and Mohammedism and Hinduism and all the other isms, and then there's Christianity. And then we often further subdivide Christianity into, you know, Episcopalians and Roman Catholics and Presbyterians and Lutherans and Methodists and in uh, Church of God, Assemblies of God, and so on and so forth. But in God's economy, there are only two divisions. There is salvation by works, and there is salvation through Christ. There is salvation based on human effort, and there is salvation based on the blood. There are those who come to Him, there are those who won't. There are those who believe in Him, there are those who refuse to believe in Him. There are those who work for food that is only temporal. There are those who receive God's gift, the food that endures to eternal life. There are those who eat the body and drink the blood, and there are those who don't. There are those who believe and those who will not. You have to decide there's no middle ground. Now, I hope you've noticed that the Lord is speaking here about his death on Calvary ever before they got it in their little noggins, we need to kill this fellow. Ever before they thought about crucifying him. Early on in his ministry, he's already speaking about his own death. What I'm trying to say is that the giving of his body and the shedding of his blood was not their ideas, but God's. The blood atonement of Jesus Christ was not some emergency measure. The Bible teaches in eternity past, Revelation 13, 8, before the foundation of the world, before God spoke this universe into existence, ever before he created man, knowing what man would do, it was in the bosom of God to give his son. It was not an accident. It was an appointment with death that the Lord Jesus had. He said, I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. Don't ever apologize for the blood of Christ. You know, the hymnals beginning in the 1970s, even in a number of evangelical churches, a lot of people really not sensitive to what was happening. They began to take out all the hymns that dealt with the blood. Why? Because people found it to be offensive. Listen, friends, if we are ashamed of the blood of Christ, we might as well just go home, close the door, shut the place down, because there is salvation in no one else but in Christ's shed blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is absolutely no forgiveness. It may sound narrow, it may sound legalistic, but I want to tell you it is the plain truth of Holy Scripture. Do you believe that there is salvation only in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do, 
It will open up your lips in praise and it will embolden your heart to declare to men a way of salvation. Secondly, I want to ask you, do you know that it is not your faith that saves, but it is God's grace that saves? A man called me this past Tuesday on the Bible line and he asked, for those who are listening, he said, tell me, how do you know whether or not you have enough faith to be saved. You see, implicit in that question is that faith saves you. But it does not. The Bible does not say we are saved by faith. It teaches that we are saved by grace through faith. There is nothing meritorious in your faith. It is not faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith that saves you. Faith is just the channel, the hand that grasps what the Lord Jesus has done. And so he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. And again, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is, again, it's because the power is not in the eating it's not the moving of your jaw. The power is in the food. The power is not in your faith. It is in the object of your faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now understand, this is a very personal decision you have to make. The grace of God is sufficient to save anyone. Christ didn't die for a select few. He died for all men. His death is sufficient for all, but it only becomes efficient for you when you come by faith. When you take God at his word, that his way of salvation and not yours is the only way to heaven. When in faith you say it, mean it, believe it, Lord Jesus, save me. And no one can do that for you. I can't say to my wife, well, honey, you know, I got a busy afternoon. Will you possibly eat that lunch for me? No, she can't eat the lunch for me. There's no eating by proxy. No one else can eat for you. If I could become a Christian for you, I would, but I can't. You must decide. But if you eat, you'll live forever. Third and finally, I would ask the question, what is your relationship to the blood of Jesus? What's your relationship to the blood of Jesus? You know, there are some people who hate the blood. They despise the blood of the cross, and they think that this message border, is borderline barbaric, pagan that this blood of the cross religion is just another form of paganism. Do you remember the Passover lamb when God instituted it? He said that the blood was to be put on the lintel and on the doorposts, but he very clearly made it explicit it was not to be put on the threshold. Now I want to tell you this morning, all of us in just a few minutes are going to leave and walk out of these doors. And you can walk out under the blood or you can walk over the blood. But it is a very dangerous thing to trample over the precious sinless blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will either accept him or you will reject him. You will either crown him or you will crucify him. You will either receive him or refuse him, but you cannot remain neutral. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Now, for some people, 
The relationship they have towards the blood of Christ is hatred. I get a few letters every year, some hateful letters from someone else in the part of, of the United States that listens to us on the radio, and they despise the message that I preach. They just hate it. That's the attitude of some people. That's why some people hate this church. Because we preach a blood atonement. Beware of all men speak well of you, for so they love the false prophets who went before you. But understand, while some people have a hatred for the blood of Christ, other people, they don't hate it. They just think it's ridiculous. They think it's foolish. Paul said to the Corinthians, for the word of the cross to those who are perishing is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's some listening to me this morning. You're thinking, well, pastor, I don't despise the blood. I, I just don't agree with you. In fact, what you're saying seems kind of silly to me. God's going to accept me. He's going to see my life. He's going to see that I'm a good person, and he's going to let me in. I don't need all this blood religion. In fact, I find it kind of funny. So you can laugh at me, and you can laugh your way into hell, but you'll never be able to laugh your way out of hell. Hell is a real place. Heaven is a real place. And you can only get into heaven through the blood of the Lord Jesus. Some hate the blood. Some mock the blood. Some think it's foolishness. By the way, these four reactions we're going to look at next week because they, they are taught in the conclusion of the sermon. And some just ignore the blood. They simply let it pass by. Some of you sitting here this morning, you don't find it funny. You don't hate the message. You just think it's rather boring and not all that important. Maybe you're guessing, you're thinking, man, what church did I get into today? When is this guy going to finish? And you're thinking... This is all just kind of silly. It's not that important. I want to tell you, you don't want to ignore the blood of Christ. Judas did that. Judas is in hell this morning. You don't want to ignore his blood. God doesn't want you to ignore it. He put this preacher in front of you this morning to plead with you, to implore you, to compel you to come to the Lord Jesus and to trust his blood. It's a very dangerous thing to ignore his blood. Do you remember that Passover, that very first Passover night when God said he was going to send the destroyer, what we sometimes call the death angel through the land? And if he saw on the lintel and on the doorpost blood, he would pass over that home and the firstborn child would be spared. Can you imagine what it was like on that night? Can you imagine Pharaoh's son coming to his dad, the ruler of the world, and he says, Daddy, there's a rumor going around. Oh, really? What is it, son? There's a rumor that the God of the Hebrews is going to go through the land tonight. And they're saying that he will smite, he will kill the firstborn in every single house that does not have blood on the lintel and on the doorpost. He said, they're saying that it has to be the blood of an unblemished lamb. Now, Daddy, you know I'm your firstborn. Don't you think it might be a good idea for us to get a lamb and to do that? I can hear Pharaoh laughing in scorn. Son, don't worry, I'm Pharaoh. I'm the ruler of the world. I'm a somebody in this world. Don't you listen to all that blood stuff. Look, even if something were to happen, we've got our palace guards and our soldiers to protect us. Besides that, we've got our own priests. We've got our own religion. 
Now listen, son, don't worry about it. But daddy, seems like every time Moses says something, it happens. Son, your daddy loves you. Ignore that rumor. That's all it is. It's just a rumor. Trust your daddy. Your daddy knows best. Don't worry about all that blood of the lamb stuff. Oh, thanks, dad. And he goes to bed and midnight comes and there's screams all the way through the land as the firstborn are gone. Some hate the blood. Some ridicule the blood. Still others totally ignore the blood. But this preacher loves the blood. It is precious to me. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other found I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What's your relationship to the blood? Are you under it? Have you trusted it? You cannot remain neutral. You must decide. Let's stand for prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity today to reflect on the truth of Holy Scripture. Father, I thank you for the power of the blood, not just to save us from sin's eternal penalty, but for those of us who have failed. You said that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us through the blood, that as we walk in the light as He is in the light, His blood cleanses us from all sin. I pray today, Father, that You might embolden this church and Your people, that with gentleness and reverence, we would take the great commission that the Lord has entrusted to every person in our county who will listen. That we would be unashamed of the blood, that we would be ready to make a defense for the hope that's within us and with gentleness and reverence. Father, I pray today for someone who's here who is not sure that if this were their last day upon the earth that they would go to heaven. You promised you cannot lie that whoever will call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Thank you that you could make that promise because you sent your son. You gave him a human body that in his own body on the cross he might bear our sin and take all of its punishment that if we call upon his living, resurrected person, that he would save us forever. Would you this morning, maybe you're here and you're uncertain of your salvation, would you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. But I thank you that you left heaven, that you were sent by the Father to come to earth, and that in your sinless body you took my place. I thank you that you voluntarily gave your life and then God raised you up declaring to all men everywhere that you are Lord. And so as humbly as I know, I say, Lord Jesus, save me. It is not those who are well who need a physician, but them that are sick, Jesus said. He died for the helpless. Would you say in faith, Lord Jesus, save me. And because you have saved me, I will unashamedly confess you before men. Father, no man can come to you unless the Spirit draws him. We believe that. I pray today for the sake of Christ that you'd bring people to yourself and that you'd help men and women and boys and girls to make this decision. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you enjoyed today's message, remember that you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program John 019. Remember that you can support the ministry of Search the Scriptures by calling or you can give online at searchthescriptures.org. Your generous donation plays an important role in providing biblical teaching and spreading the gospel. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.